I read what I think is one of the most fascinating articles I've read in a long time over the weekend. And it got me thinking about some things, but I thought this is so bizarre and so 2020, <laughs> I guess this made sense to, to get into it. Long time ago, I fell in love with a show called Yes, Prime Minister. Yes, Minister. Yes, Prime Minister. It was a BBC's, BBC series back in the 80s. Um, and it revolved around three people, primarily. A guy by the name of Jim Hacker, who was first a minister of parliament and then in the government. And then he later would be accidentally become prime minister. And his two civil servants, his principal private secretary and his permanent secretary. And... When he becomes prime minister, he has an idea for changing national policy that he wants to pursue. And, and he has a poll commissioned, and this poll, of course, supports his idea. This poll says, yes, the British people are in favor of this. Of course, the civil service, dead set against it. And Humphrey, who is the more senior civil servant, he's the permanent secretary, is perplexed that his junior partner, Bernard, doesn't really understand his opposition to it. And so he sits him down and explains, all you need to do is have a poll commission that shows the opposite. And Bernard is perplexed by this, and he's, he's like, well, what do you mean? And so Humphrey proceeds to ask him a set of questions. Now remember, when pollsters ask you questions, the answers are absolutes. They're yeses and noes. There's no nuance in a poll. It's never... How much do you support this? How comfortable? It's simply, do you support this? Do you not support this? Do you vote for this candidate? Do you vote for that candidate? And so Humphrey walks Bernard through these questions and shows him that he supports the prime minister's position. And then he asks him another set of questions that show him exactly the opposite. You're against the prime minister's position. And Bernard, of course, is awed by this. See, you're the perfect balanced sample, Humphrey says. <laughs> and all we got to do is commission a, a poll that shows the opposite, which they do. And of course, this is presented to the prime minister as, look, the British people are against your position. And the civil service wins again. Polling, of course, has become a major issue in our country over the past few election cycles, particularly it, since in 2016, it was so wrong. And in 2020, it was so wrong. And this has caused people to ask a lot of questions. What's going on with polling? Why is it so wrong? And I think it's had an interesting blowback in a lot of ways. Now, pollsters are seen as almost like snake oil salesmen. They're, they're almost seen as trash journalism, you know, Midnight Star, National Enquirer. They're almost seen at that level of journalism in the sense of nothing you say is true, nothing you say matters, and you're just trying to stir up trouble. One of the leading organizations in this country, a place called 538, Nate Silver, is notorious for its predictions, and of course got everything wrong in 2016 and got a lot of things wrong in 2020. So Nate Silver, his website, 538, by the way, is named after the number of electoral college votes there are, um, took to the word processor this past week and wrote a 
fascinating article about the whole deal with polling. And it, it, it so fascinated me. I mean, I've read this article probably six times because on the one hand, here's a man trying to defend himself against charges, accusations, questions about the viability of his business, the, the, what actually puts food on his table. And at the same time, he's sort of acknowledging that, well, yeah, maybe there's some legitimacy to this. He makes five points. The first point he makes is, on the one hand, he doesn't entirely understand the polls were wrong storyline. He doesn't get that story. He doesn't understand why there are stories out there saying, well, the polls were wrong. He gives this long-winded explanation, this year was definitely a little weird, given that the vote share, share margins were often fairly far off from the polls, but at the same time, a high percentage of states were called correctly, <laughs> as was the over, called, by the way, it's in, in air quotes, uh, as was the overall electoral college and the popular vote winner, Biden. And, and that's how polls should be judged. Did they identify the right winner? Which, in his mind, since they predicted Biden would win, which, again, didn't take a, uh, a genius to do. Um, he thinks that that should be sufficient. The fact that they were predicting that he was going to win by as many as, I saw one that said 15 points, um, was laughable. Now, at the same time, there should be some question about those of you that were posting about how Trump was going to win with 300 electoral votes and, you know, 60% of the votes and stuff like that. You were basing yours on the same thing. So <laughs> did you identify the right winner? So maybe he's right on that point. I don't know. Point two. On the other hand, evaluating how close the polls came to the actual vote share margins is a better way to judge polls. So he's glad that people are doing that, even though in many cases his, his, his estimations were bizarrely wrong. Maine is a great example where he had Susan Collins losing by as much as 11 points at one point, and it didn't even happen that way. I mean, consider how much stress went into that. I mean, think about this. Susan Collins voted against Amy Coney Barrett because of the race that she was going on in Maine and the fact that the polls were showing that she was going to lose and she was trying desperately to win. When in fact... She was probably winning the whole time, but she was being influenced by people who may not have been seeing things the same way, right? Yet, he says, point three, uh, the margins by which the polls missed, underrating President Trump by which will likely end up being three to four percentage points, is actually pretty normal, he says, by historical standards. See, we always get it wrong. You people are the ones that, you people are the ones that, are mad because we're wrong, but we're always wrong. We had a weather report last, I guess it was Friday, I posted it on my social media about how we were going to have nothing but bad weather all week. It was going to pour rain all day Saturday. It was going to pour rain all week and, and just be miserable, right? And yesterday, I was so mad, so mad. I like to walk. I try to walk 30 minutes a day at least. Usually it's closer to 45 minutes to an hour. 
but I prefer to walk in my neighborhood. I prefer, I have a two mile route that I walk in my neighborhood. It takes me 48 minutes on a good day. And I, I prefer to do that, but if the weather's bad, I can't do it. So here's this weather report showing the weather's going to be bad all week. And so I convinced Cammie that I would take her to work yesterday or on Saturday, Friday. Friday, Saturday. I don't remember when it was. Might have been yesterday. Anyway, point is, I took her to, the, to work so I would have the car so I could go to the gym and walk on the treadmill instead. And damned <laughs> if it wasn't brilliant sunshine all freaking day with not a cloud in the sky. His point that we're always wrong, so why are you upset about the fact that we're always wrong anyway, is, is well, I mean, it's kind of a, <laughs> I, I get what he's saying, but at the same time, it's kind of like, why do we listen to weathermen? Why do weather people still have jobs? Weather people on TV stations are some of the highest paid people there is. I don't really see why. They're wrong most of the time. However, he goes on, point four, there are nevertheless reasons to be concerned about polls going forward, especially if it's hard to get a truly representative sample of people on the phone. Now, this is where he starts to get really interesting to me. He actually uh, links up some other articles that he wants you to go read, which turn out to tell us that one pollster's explanation for why the polls got it wrong is, quote, the kind of people who answer polls are really weird and it's ruining polling, unquote. Unless you think that's just a headline, unless you think that that's just, you know, something that uh, something that, that a headline writer would put into something. no. That's pretty much a poll quote from what the guy had to say, David Shore, who's a uh, data analyst. People who answer polls are weird. They're really weird. And that's ruining polling. All you people that are answering polls, you're just freaky weird. And and that's it. He had another explanation, which is the problem. COVID is a problem because apparently, I don't know this, but apparently lots and lots of active Democrats – lost their jobs, their position, whatever, had plenty of free time to sit at home, and with nothing else to do, they were answering polls. That's, that's one of his other explanations, is that they oversampled on Democrat, highly involved Democrats. Now, you might think to yourself, well, can't they control that? Can't they wait? Because you always hear this. Well, they only ask so many of this, that, and the other. They actually have formulas for how to weight different groups of people, whether those, whether those are whites Blacks, Republicans, Democrats, education levels, uh, income levels, and and depending on how many of which, because they think that it re- they try to get one that's representative of the entire country, and then they balance it out. That's what they're supposed to be doing, but of course, it doesn't work out that way. So, their answer to 2020, why 2020 was so far off, apparently in Maine especially, is that people who answer polls are weird, really weird, really weird. How's that for how's that for polling explanations? Not our fault the polls were off. It's these really weird freaking people that they're the reason that our polls were off. <laughs> Lastly, he says this. Uh, there's a made-up point here. Voters and the media need to recalibrate their expectations around polls. That's a great sentence. Not necessarily because anything's changed but because these expectations demanded an unrealistic level of persuasion while simultaneously resisting the urge to throw all the polls out. So, in essence, what he's saying here is 
you guys need to stop expecting us to be right. And when we tell you something, you should shut up and listen to it instead of instead of saying, well, they're always wrong and just ignoring us. <laughs> you follow me here? Nate Silver, 538, is actually saying, number one, it's y'all's fault that these polls are wrong. But number two, stop expecting them to be right. And thirdly, even though you know they're not right, they're historically not right. And we we sort of predicted the right winner, but not really. Um, don't throw us out because we're important. What we do matters. Now, you can't make it up, folks. It's right there on the page. This is what he said. And he answers, yeah, so it's complicated. Uh, he's like, he wraps it up kind of with this. Biden was a reasonably heavily favored in our forecast precisely because he could withstand a normal-sized or slightly larger polling error and still come out narrowly ahead. And that's what happened. Now he's not only claiming that the polls were wrong, but it's your fault and you shouldn't worry about it, but that they actually got it right by overcompensating for the fact that they could be wrong. And people wonder why people don't trust polls. It's, it's really rather remarkable. It's really, like I said, it was a fascinating article. It's an exercise in, I don't know if it's self-delusional, but it's certainly, it's like a weatherman coming on the channel this morning and saying, well, we got everything wrong, but it's your fault because, you know, chaos theory. Too many butterflies were flying in China and we didn't get the rainstorm we were supposed to get. And so Dave doesn't need to be upset about, you know, taking his wife to work so that he could have the car to go to the gym because he didn't want, wanted to walk around his neighborhood. That's his own fault. That's literally what this article comes down to. David Shore, who's the data analyst they interviewed, turns out, talking about this weird thing, but it turns out people who answer surveys are really weird. They're considerably more politically engaged than normal, which is, I mean, that would be true, right? He puts a five-factor test, kind of personality survey. They have much higher agreeableness, um, which makes sense if you think literally about what's happening. The, the main point being here that if you answer polls, even the pollsters think you're really weird. And it never occurs to them that, well, what about you asking these questions? Are you also really weird? Because you're going to get the answers mostly wrong. And it's like math, new math back when I was a kid. Doesn't matter if you get the right answer, as long as you understand what you're doing. As Tom Lair once sang, and is now, by the way, I don't know if you knew this or not, Tom Lair uh, put all of his music into the public domain. That's why I can use it. And he said this It used to be that once you controlled for age and race and gender and education, the people who trusted their neighbors who trusted their neighbors basically voted the same as people who didn't trust their neighbors. But starting in 2016, suddenly all that shifted. If you look at white people without college education, the deplorables, high trust non-college whites tended towards Democrats and low trust non-college whites heavily turned against us, us being the Democrats. He was a Democrat pollster at the time. In 2016, we were polling this high trust electorate, so we overestimated Clinton and the problem is that these low-trust people, the deplorables, still vote, even if they're not answering these phone surveys. So, at the end of the day, we're left with this whole uh, just convoluted mess about the polls. 
I've said this for years, folks. I said it on my radio show. I said it in here. I, I had a I had a really bad experience with a pollster one time, Rasmussen, not that I'm naming names, who tried to tell me, and I think it was 2012, that he needed to have them on the show because Meg Whitman was within the margin of error of Jerry Brown. Every poll in the state, every poll in the world showed Jerry Brown bitch slapping Meg Whitman in the next century by 10 plus points, except for Rasmussen, who said, no, he's just within the margin of error. And of course, every Republican handler in the state wanted this pollster on every show that he could get him on because he need to energize the base. And I asked some pointed questions about it, didn't get the answers I want, didn't have him on the show. And of course, it turns out that Rasmussen was wrong. It found, we found out later that Rasmussen was undersampling Democrats. They, would, they, they didn't talk to anybody that didn't have a landline. And they didn't talk to anybody who spoke Spanish. They only talked to English speakers in the state of California. Yeah, you, uh, you did it wrong. Well, it, that kind of turned me off to polls, and I stopped paying attention to them. And I, I really haven't paid attention to them since. This year it was particularly easy because the polls were so bizarrely all, all over the place. It was so obvious that they were undersampling on the Trump side. It was so obvious that the the, what did he call them? The low vote, low trust people who were still going to vote. All you had to do was walk outside, folks. All you had to do was walk down Silverdale Way and see the demonstrations and the flags and the, 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 the car thing. All you had to do was do that. And you could see that there was no way in God's green earth that Biden was going to win by 10 points. It wasn't going to happen. He might still win, but it wasn't going to be the wipeout that all these people, including 538, were calling for. And this is, this is where I struggle with this, because I don't know if we should do away with polls. I, look, it's America, and as George Carlin once said, nail two sticks together in a new way and somebody will buy it. I don't have a problem with people making a living. I really don't. If you, if you want to buy what they're selling, caveat emptor, that's on you. You want to buy crap from Goop or... or AJ or whoever or Caravan to Midnight, that's on you. You want to buy a pendant that deflects the coronavirus, that's on you. You, you know, you're smart enough to think about this stuff. You're smart enough to think about how you vote and whether or not you want to answer pollsters. But at the end of the day, you don't really believe those people. So why do you believe pollsters in the first place? Why do you believe them? We already know by their own admission that they're tinkering with the numbers as Einstein once said monkeying with the numbers we already know that so if their entire excuse is sure we were wrong but we're always wrong but that's no excuse not to listen to us we gotta ask the question well why are we listening to you and I suspect that the whole entire purpose of these polls this year was solely to influence things that didn't necessarily affect the presidential race and Susan Collins is this, the prime example of that. Absolutely the prime example of that. It was an attempt to manipulate a vote by using news stories that had no real basis in fact. Hmm, what do we call that? Oh yeah, um, propaganda. Propaganda.